We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to episode 253 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hilton, and I'm again joined by Frances Tomas. Frances, last week you said the questions right at the start of this show always throw you off, so why don't I just say, hola, Frances. Hola, hola, Lan. Hola, Cules. Um, yeah, delighted to be here again. We didn't have a great result at the, I was going to say Bernabeu, but it's that, what is it, a training ground somewhere. Still, we didn't have a great result there. I'm sure we're going to talk about it now. But, you know, life is life continues. The Liga is not finished, so we, we keep moving forward. Yeah, I mean, I know that everyone's probably taking in as much El Clasico content as they could possibly handle. But, hey, not only are we going to do it again, but we are, of course, going to, with our midweek shows, going to try to take a big glance or a big picture look at what this still means for the title race, what it means for the El Clasico rivalry, and all those different things. I do have some stats, Frances, but a lot of this is going to be from the heart, from what I feel like watching that match, and from what I feel like even, I know I did, I, it's crazy that I did this, but I watched it a second time, because again, there's something wrong with my brain, but I wanted to make sure that I got across my eyes, or <laughs> dotted my eyes and crossed my T's, there we go. So, my initial thoughts, uh, it's actually, I want to get your initial thoughts first, and I'll give mine. So, what are your initial thoughts after this one? Well, my initial thoughts is that um, basically we disappeared for a good 30, 40 minutes of the match. I think after the, the Madrid opener happened, we weren't there at all. Um, I think that we lost concentration for a, for a big period and we went faithful to the Barca that we have been lately, um, which was the only, the only risk that we could have run for us not to win the game. And it actually did happen. Um, I don't want to go cliche here. I don't want to say that the players weren't ready to start the game uh, and they came up sleepy, etc. I think it was beyond that. I think that Madrid outplayed us. I think that the fact that Kuman stuck with the same formation as he's had uh, for the last month was natural, to be honest. But Madrid had a plan. Zidane had a plan to counter that, which was pressing as high as possible and basically um, taking care of the superiorities whenever you know we broke the lines, which was very unfortunately not very frequent at all. And that was the counter. Um, after that, we didn't react to Benzema's goal, uh, which was very, um, very intelligent goal, to be fair to him. And then we disappeared from the game. But slowly but surely, we came back in the second half. We started getting not more possession because we had possession pretty much throughout the game. It's just that we weren't really meaningful with it. Um, but, you know, obviously 
progressively we got better, we were closer to scoring and even drawing the game at the end. Um, we got unlucky with, I'm sure we're going to talk about it, that decision with the penalty for against Braithwaite. Yeah, we're going to talk I'm about sure. all the details. We're going to talk, we're talking about all the individual moments in that match. Trust me, we're going to get to all of it. Yeah, so, so I'm sure that we'll discuss that bit. Um, and then obviously at the end, we had a, a very good chance with Ilash that just didn't go in. But ultimately, it was a result that we did not want. Um, you could say that losing all three points was a little bit harsh, but this, this is football and the Liga continues. So we were still on it. We've got eight matches to go. Uh, we are one point behind and it's what it is. Yeah, now I, I would say with the recap you just gave, Frances, I, I implore people, please don't turn off the podcast. We have a lot more to talk about with this game. We're actually going to break down a lot of those individual moments in more detail, talk about individual performances, things like that. But my initial thoughts afterwards were not optimistic, obviously. Barcelona once again failed to win in a big game. That's what I'll talk about in a second. But for the title race, Frances, I'm still positive about this title race. I, I mean, mm -hmm. I really did think about it, where now looking at the table, it's back out of Barcelona's hands. We said going into El Clasico that because of matchups with Real Madrid and Atletico Madrid head-to-head, -head, and we all know that La Liga also comes down to head-to-head -to -head before goal differential, that it was going to be Barcelona's control in those two matches as to whether or not they could win La Liga on their own accord. Now things are out of their hand. Now they have to hope that other teams in La Liga do their job and take care of business and continue to take points off the two other Madrid giants. So the title race, though, here's the knock. Even though Real Madrid are at the moment the better side, they look like they're going to go to the semifinal of the Champions League against Liverpool. That'll remain to be seen next week. Yet Madrid still only have 14 players healthy that Zidane trusts at this moment. Yeah. And we're going to talk about the subs again later. But Lucas Vasquez going down to injury in this match is huge for Zidane now as the season, we'll see how long he's out, but as the season continues on, he's been so important to him. And Barca were better from the point that not only he was subbed off, but when the other subs in Cruz and Benzema and Vinicius Jr. And this is where Zidane's hubris almost got the best of him. When he takes off Benzema, Cruz and Vinicius Jr. from Mariano, Isco and Marcelo, the drop in talent for Real Madrid was noticeable. And so the fact that they only have really 11, 12, 13 players that he actually trusts. I mean, I said 14, and that might be even kind of players that are actually yeah. in form. So you can't tell me that Real Madrid are on the razor's edge to being able to drop more points here. Now, the counter-argument to that is what I always bring up in With stats. That, can I jump in that? Yeah, Dan? yeah, please. Uh, there's, been re there's been reports coming out of Madrid, and this is unusual because reports normally, um, they're made up in Barcelona, especially mm -hmm. when it comes out of the Spanish capital. But this one is from us, us.com, uh, the, the audio us, basically. And uh, they were saying that Zidane went up to to Florentino, basically, and, and the, the cupola, the, the, the highest stratosphere in the Madrid um, board, and he was saying that he doubted that there was enough depth in that squad to last the whole Liga. So what you are saying in terms of um, hypotheticals, based on numbers, of course, it actually has been reported that they're saying it themselves. Um, whether it's a smokescreen, I'm not sure. Uh, maybe that's what they're doing. Maybe that's what they're trying to do. But this, it is unusual that a rumor like that comes out from the Madrid press themselves. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. And Madrid should, at this moment, have the upper hand. They should feel as if they have the upper hand in the title race. And historically speaking, again, the counter-argument to the fact that Real Madrid, uh, again, I feel like they're they're not safe with this lead. 
It's a narrow lead. Well, actually, it's not a lead at all. Atletico Madrid have are back at the top of the table after their draw with, with Real Betis. Though, in that sense, they give up two more points against Real Betis, missing Luis Suarez and Marcus Llorente. I actually thought Atleti played pretty well uh, in that match uh, against Betis, just even to, to get the one point. They got the opener goal. Now, we're really talking about Real Madrid and the fear of, did Barcelona hand Real Madrid the, the title? And if Real, if Barca, rather, get a result against Atleti, are they going to hand Real Madrid the title? So, history... It does kind of stomp on my optimism that the title race still exists. Nine of the last ten times that Real Madrid beat Barca both meetings, they won the title. The only exception was 1983-84 with Athletic Club getting, uh, being the exception there. Three consecutive wins. This now in El Clasico's versus Barca. The first time since 1978 that this occurred. Barca has never won the Liga after losing both games to Real Madrid in a season. And Barca had not beaten, uh, sorry, Madrid had not beaten Barca in both games since 2007-2008. So all of these El Clasico losses piling up, it looks like, it's, and it's an odd thing too, it looks like Barcelona having this down period in their history, yet Barcelona have won two of the last three La Ligas. And Barca at this moment, we see that the team that started the first half of the year is still not the team that, we're, that we saw even in El Clasico. That was the very first loss for FC Barcelona in the Liga in the 2021 calendar season. I do I do, do want to remind people of that, that yes, they were unable to get over the, 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 the hump. And I, I guess that where I want to, unless you have something to respond to that, I think the big talking point here is now this whole big game concept. But before we get to that, yeah, please. Yeah, no, I, I just think that going to Madrid and losing in Clasico is natural. Uh, I think that the vast majority of people who've been following Barca for, I don't know, maximum 10 years, they would think that this is science fiction, but, you know, Barca have traditionally gone to Madrid and lost, uh, maybe not in the last 10 years, but if you look back 30, 35, 40 years, it is quite usual that that's the result you get when you go to Madrid. What is not that normal is losing at home, and I think that 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 is the three points that we may be missing at the end of the season, but having said all that, we've been banging about it all year as well. This is not a year in which, personally, I expected to win La Liga. I think that this year has to be a transition year and the objective has, and you can go back to the podcast that we probably recorded in September or even before and I would have said the same as I'm going to say now. This year was for Messi to pass the button and to make sure that he's not an incredibly Messi dependent, like Messi the be all and end all in the team and that new, new, new youngsters, new blood comes through and uh, they're establishing themselves. Now, I don't know what's going to happen in the next eight matches, obviously, and I do hope that we come out victorious at the end uh, with another title, not just La Copa, which hopefully happens, but also La Liga, which hopefully happens too. But Pedri, Mingueza, Araujo, you can put Ilash in there as well. Um, you can maybe put Ricky Puch in time, he would be there. And Sufati, the moment that he's recovered, he will go back into that mix. There's been a lot, obviously, the young as well, uh, Serginho Des, arguably. The last two, obviously, they are, they are signings, but they have grown enough this season. And Messi, obviously, continues to be the engine and the, 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 the center of the Barca universe. But at the same time, if Messi does leave in the summer, which, again, could very well happen, there are a lot of people, there are a lot of players, there are a lot of youngsters who have stepped up to, to take that void. And hope, obviously, the Messi void is never going to be filled, obviously. But... You can even throw Dembélé in there as well. There's been so much growth beyond Messi in this team that, for me, the season objective has already been achieved. Um, I think that credit needs to go to Kuman for basically making dinner out of all the ingredients that were left in the fridge, yeah. basically. Um, 
I don't know how many more coaches could have done better than him, given the fact that there was no clear direction from the board, there was no clear sort of continuation of the 4-3-3 that we've always done, et cetera, et cetera. Well, well there was so, no board. There was no board for a third, a third of Ronald Koeman being in charge. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. So the fact that we are here at this stage of the season and challenging for La Liga is a victory in itself on the, in the context of this season. Obviously, we've got a chance to win it. Uh, I think that you can be as pessimistic as you want because we lost one match. But in the larger, as you said, the 2021 perspective, it is one loss out of God knows how many. So it's not that bad at all. Atletico Madrid are not going to win every single game, that's for sure. Obviously, one of them is against us. So if we win that one, we should be uh, overleaping them. And Madrid... I would like to say that they don't have a good enough team and a deep enough squad to win them all. But obviously, it is Real Madrid. They're playing wide and, you know, they've always got 12 players, clearly. So we'll see what happens. But it's not lost at all. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The only lasting worry for me after this match, again, we're going to talk about tactics, we'll talk about the players, we'll talk about individuals in just a second, but it's Barca in big matches this season, and that, I think, has been the one black stain on Kuman's managerial record at Barca so far. I think all the things that you mentioned are what cross, or what hits that checklist for why Kuman should be in charge of this squad next year. And I think even from the perspective, I, I hate to bring it up, but even from this perspective of Messi leaving or staying, the idea is, are Barcelona in the next year or two, meaning next year or two years from now, going to be a team that can win those big matches? Because that is the argument, right? That big games this season, if Barca winds up winning the Spanish Super Cup final, they wind up beating Atleti the first time, which again, was so close to that margin, if not for the, the one error at the back. And then you have the two matches against Real Madrid. And again, we'll talk about it. But this one yesterday uh, on Sunday could have gone either way. PSG at home, that was really the one ugly one. Really, really ugly one. The 4-1 loss. And then Juventus, when Barcelona, they just couldn't lose 3-0. And they did lose 3-0. And that's why they got PSG in the Champions League uh, in the quarterfinals. So there were really, I, I mean, two and a half, three matches where you say, yeah, Barcelona really weren't up to it. And they looked like the far less... Uh, you know, polished or good side. And then there were a bunch of, uh, we'll say 50-50 balls, if you will, that Barca just didn't win against Atleti and Real Madrid a second time in the Spanish Super Cup final. So uh, the difference is that Real Madrid this season have been, and this is, again, a credit to Zinedine Zidane, that Zidane, is he a great tactical manager? I mean, not really. I mean, do Madrid wind up 
losing points and they don't really run away with the Liga, sure. But Real Madrid this season, at least a big difference between Real Madrid and Barca because they both started the year quite poorly and they both have had a pretty good spring, but Barca has been better in the spring. Yet Madrid have won all of the matches that mattered. And that has been the difference here. That, yeah, Ronald Koeman, if he were to have gotten results in even four of those, what did I say, six or five big matches, if you will, we're talking about this season, not even as a transition season, but in an entirely different context. But again, the lasting worry is that Barca in big matches this year just weren't good enough. And the question that I think people are rightfully asking is, is that because Ronald Koeman is a manager that can't get over those big matches or can't get over the hump? Or is it that Barca squad just isn't really the squad yet built in a way that this team is good enough to get over big matches? And this same squad, in theory, next season will be able to get over the hump and win those big matches. Well, that's the, that's the key to the question, whether that point you made at the end is, where are we going as a club? Mm-hmm. Well, what's happening at Barca? Who are we? Uh, are we a team that has very good players? Let's face it, players are not bad. You know, that has a bunch of really good players. And then, as I said before, they're just a mixture of, um, of individualities that are put together in the best possible way. Or are we a club that is built properly? And now we've got Laporta at the wheel. Um, Luckily, you know, we've got a president. It could have been Victor Fon, but it wasn't. It was Laporta. He's done it before. He knows what to do. Um, in my in my eyes, and I'm sure a lot of people agree with this, he's got his heart in the right place. And obviously, he's a Cruyffist, so he wants Barca to play the right way. Now, he took charge in the middle of a season, and he inherited whatever was inherited. So, he obviously... From Laporta's perspective, he cannot really have an impact as such just yet. Mm-hmm. Um, more of a unifier and sort of a more of a philosophical sort of um, ethos and, and togetherness towards to, towards the the squad and the club in itself because he needed it but i think that the the upcoming summer is going to be the test for laporta um he needs to make sure that he starts building the castle from the basis which is how we're we going to play are we going to stay with the 352-27 formation <laughs> that Kuma makes up every single week, yeah. uh, depending on how the game goes, especially in the 80th minutes with seven strikers or whatever he does? Or are we going to play the right way? If we are going to play the right way, what is the right way? In my eyes, it should be a 4-3-3. Um, that's what traditionally has made us successful. And if you think about it, a player like Dembele, for example, playing in the wing um, is where he's the most effective, even though that he seems to be sort of shoe shoe box into the striking position uh, which is not always as effective so little things like that but the thing is you cannot start building from the players you have to start building from the idea then once you've got the idea you need to decide right who's going to be the coach that's going to take this idea forward is it kuman or is it someone else if it's kuman you keep him done if it's not you need to go and search where are you searching are you going to garcia pimienta who's doing well in the b team or are you going elsewhere? If you go elsewhere, who is available? Who is available that you know will get the work done? Then, is Messi staying? Is Messi leaving? That's a key question. If mm-hmm. Messi is staying, then you build around Messi. If Messi is not staying, what do you do? Then, do you keep Coutinho? Well, then I thought so, but then can you get rid of him? Are you keeping Griezmann? Even are you keeping Dembele if Kuman is not staying? Because let's face it, he's got resale value. So it's building team from the idea and you go down the rabbit hole until you work out who the youngest promoter from Barca B should be. But at this moment in time, it's more of a survival exercise. It's more of a let's finish the season in the best possible way. And to be challenging for La Liga with eight matches to go, with all of that that I just said not being in place, then I think it's quite an achievement. And we cannot forget that, even though obviously 
it does hurt to lose against Madrid. No one enjoys to do that, but it is a situation that we have. And but as I as already said earlier in the podcast today, losing in Madrid is not a tragedy. Losing the first leg at Barca when we did in the first part of La Liga, that was. Well, one of the parts of that idea, if you will, is how many players in the squad or can you get as many players in the squad from the academy as possible? That is part of the Barcelona mythos. It's not about having your best player necessarily have to be from La Masia, but La Masia does have to be the feeder for the first team so that you're not spending egregious amounts. Because again, Barcelona have always been a club that bring in superstar talent. It just, I mean, that's how it works. The percentages, the, uh, I mean, I'll say the chances that you're going to be able to culminate uh, the greatest talents all in the world and they all come to fruition all at the same time while fighting for minutes competitively in the academy, yeah, is statistically impossible. So you do always have to bring in outside talent, sure. However, where I want to start with the good, now that we're really going to get into the nitty-gritty of El Clasico here, it starts, I think, with Oscar Mingueza, because I, I, not that he represents the academy, because he doesn't necessarily in this instance, but I think in El Clasico, he might a little bit more, in that he, since he was, what, 8, 9, 10 years old, and you could say since birth, that he has always probably dreamed of playing against Real Madrid in El Clasico, probably in front of fans. But this was his first El Clasico. He showed up, and I would argue that Oscar Mingueza was Barcelona's best player in that match just because of uh, what he was able to do on the positive side of things. I had my in my notes prior to his goal, I said, I, I, had, I had written down, talk about Mingueza's defensive performance. I thought defensively he was superb. He tracked back mm-hmm. with Vinicius Jr. I, I saw that he actually had a higher top speed in that game than Vinicius Jr., which is really surprising to me, but he had a, a clear near the goal line and he also scored the goal. I mean, he's a brave player and it's not just about the, cru- the, the crest, but he puts himself in the right spots. He does ba- lack a little bit of speed throughout the match and he does have that habit of getting beat by speedy wingers and picking up simple yellows but as you had mentioned earlier too Miguel is only 21 years old and Ronald Araujo on the other side is only 21 years old so on paper in that match Miguel versus Vinny should have been a mismatch you'd think because of the the form that Vinicius Jr has been in recently but it wasn't but then you start to say but then Mingueza, Araujo, and Langley versus Vinicius Jr., Benzema, and Fede Valverde, that did apt, did that all three in tandem added up to be a mismatch. So Araujo just being a second late to Benzema to, to clear him on his back, and then Ter Stegen probably could have done a better job on that near post as well on that goal, it should be said. But yeah, so then the, the culmination of Mingueza, Araujo, and Langley together just couldn't match up with the front three of Real Madrid, uh, just in terms of the intangibles needed to win that match. But overall, I mean, the performance that Mingueza had is certainly something positive. And on the other side, coming in late, I want to mention too, Ies Mariba. He winds up being the second really, really bright point for Barcelona coming out of that match. I mean, if it doesn't come off the crossbar, then Ies Mariba has an all-time El Clasico moment where I, I thought it was a pretty good match, all things considered. Yes, the rain and all the different variables going on. But if not for the injustices in that match, Ies Mariba coming on. Again, it could have been a moment for him. And on a little aside here, before I throw you the point about Mingueza and and Iash, uh, Iash also had a header on target, I I should mention too. The online treatment of Iash Moriba after this match, I I always want to put on record here, disgusting, terrible. Um, You could see easily in screenshots. It's even more racist and worse than you think it is. Just Again, just people who call themselves Kool-Aids going after an 18-year-old who is one of the best 18-year-olds that we've ever seen trying to break into the first team because he hits the crossbar because he winds up making an impact in the game. Disgusting. Again, if you're one of those Kool-Aids who listens to our podcast, who decided to write those things, don't listen to our podcast anymore. We don't really want you here. And I I, I don't call yourself a Kool-Aid. But yeah, Ies Mariba, I've been 
continuing to be surprised, not even surprised, I'm not surprised anymore, but I continue to be excited at what he's able to do. And it just, even fighting against Casemiro, when he winds up getting under Casemiro's skin and Casemiro gets two yellow cards and the red a few moments later, East Mariba is not afraid of the moment. And same thing with Mingaitha. Uh Yeah, they've spent all this time in, in the academy. So you'd think that El Clasico is going to be the time when they're more nervous than, you know, Griezmann or, or, or Lang Lay or whoever it may be. And yet these are the players that seem to be up to the, the idea of playing against a rival. These are the players that seem to desire it more. And that was my biggest positive takeaway from this is that these academy products, you're going to have to stop talking about them as just La Masia graduates and speak of them as first team players because that is what they've earned the right to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm surprised to hear that anyone in the right mind would criticize Ilash for what he did in a match. Yeah, no, it was surprising um, to me too. That, that's why I bring it up because I couldn't believe yeah, it. Yeah, well, I didn't know. I yeah. didn't know because I'm not in social media. And to be honest, it looks like you just wasted a lot of life listening to people or reading what people were saying that clearly don't know what they're talking about. Uh, in, in, my defense, was... in my defense, it gets sent to me uh, and put on my radar in that way. <laughs> so in my defense. Delete. delete yeah, yeah, delete. I know. Um, ignore, ignore, ignore. I don't know. Uh, I, I wouldn't have thought that anyone in the right mind would criticize him uh, for what he did. He came on. He had an impact. He's playing against Madrid. He's not playing against, with all due respect, Castel de Fels, you know. He's playing against mm-hmm. the biggest the biggest team with Barca in Spain and obviously a team that has won the Champions League far too many times for our liking. And he comes on. He defends Messi in the eyes of everybody against Casemiro, who, you know, people always do respect, but he looked like he belonged from the moment he joined and he made a positive difference. And to be honest, I think that the vast majority of players don't get to get to don't get to put themselves in that position to even have that shot at the crossbar. So uh, I don't understand how people can be so ignorant. Um, as for Mingueza, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to add a lot. I agree with you. Uh, we talked about it in the last podcast. That is someone who really shows what La Masia players can do, uh, someone who wasn't necessarily touted to be even in the first team and certainly not a, a regular starter like he has become. So kudos to him. Well done. And hopefully more, more and better to come. Yeah. So let's talk about some of the, 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 the seedy incidents in this match. I'm going to start with the Brothwaite-Mendy penalty. The more I looked at it, yeah, I comparing it to some of the other calls, we'll say, in the Liga this season, yes, I think it was a penalty, but because the referee did not initially call it a penalty, that VAR didn't have enough to overturn it. I don't. I, I don't know, Francis. I. I know. I know what your answer is going to be. Your answer is going to have something to do with the manager having a Los Blancos jersey underneath his refereeing jersey. <laughs> Am I correct? Yeah. <laughs> well, okay. So if you were the referee, yes, though, you are. Let me let me say more. Let me yeah, say yeah. More. If you were the referee, is that um, a penalty? That's my question for you. Yeah, if I'm if I'm the referee, I don't think I give it. Um, mm. I think that Braithwaite is a very intelligent player who puts himself in the right positions. Um, obviously, clearly, Mendy, you know, elongates his arm for no reason whatsoever, and he does somehow push him, and he does fall down. And and you know, it, if he was given, it would have been a very weak penalty, but it would have been given, and no one could have said anything because he does touch him. Um, having said that, as you just said that I was going to say, I'm going to say it anyway. If that is Sergio Ramos going uh, running alongside PK and he falls in the same way. Uh, VAR has a look at it 27 times. Uh, it's a penalty within 0.11 milliseconds. And, you know, Real Madrid have lifted the Liga trophy already. But that's that's what Spain is. That's, that's what La Liga is. It's not surprising. 
and we just have to accept what it has been for many years and we just keep moving. Ultimately though, Barca were not better than Madrid in that game. I don't think Barca deserved to win. I think that a, a draw would have probably been fairer. But, you know, we disappeared from the game for 40 minutes, didn't really create much. And um, our defence was, as you have already said, not very sharp in given points. Um, so that's it. Well, I, I think my one, even the penalty you can discuss, my one big issue was the extra time. That was the one where I think uh, La Liga probably should take another look at it. Four minutes was not enough time between the referee equipment break, Casemiro's yellow, substitutes, and the goal. Uh, the total of time that had been counted was more than nine minutes. So when initially I was on the, the live coverage for FC Barcelona on their Twitch channel, and yeah. I somebody asked me that in, in the chat. And I mean, I'm trying to do the mental math in my head, and I'm saying it's got to be six minimum, maybe seven. Again, I, they're not going to give nine. I understand that. But it should have been six, five or six. I mean, at, at you know minimum. But four just was not enough time. And the way that Barcelona were playing, I mean, I was I saw... A lot of Madridistas did believe that, that the equalizer was coming. And I, that's where I agree with you on that point. That I know football, we've said it many times, doesn't come down to what you deserve. But Barcelona were fighting and were going to get that equalizer. Even the shot by Ter Stegen that was blocked off Iash hitting the crossbar. Barcelona were going to get that second goal if, 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 if that game ended, I, I think, after 96 or 97 minutes. I, I honestly believe that. I, I think with those three extra minutes of extra, extra time, that it would have been 2-2. Because Barcelona were yeah. fighting, and Real Madrid, I mean, it was slipping, slipping, slipping away from them. And where Zidane got it wrong was by, again, as I mentioned, Isco did not make any sense on that field late on in the game. Mariana was not holding up the ball at all in any way and defending. And Benzema, I mean, maybe could you have pushed him a little farther? And I thought, as I said, I thought Zidane's hubris was going to get the best of him by taking off his best players and putting on guys who certainly weren't ready for that moment. And yeah, and I, I think the extra three, four minutes for Barcelona is a lifetime at the end of that match. And and that was the difference, unfortunately. And I understand the point that Barcelona could have taken care of business in the first 45 minutes. But yeah, I, as I said, that the tide of that match had turned where Barca deserved more minutes. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I don't think the substitutions that Zidane was doing make um, made much sense. But then again, they're playing Liverpool in the Champions League in midweek, aren't they? So I do think yeah. that he's got... He's got such a limited squad that even in a classical, he took his um, his key players off because, I mean, I think it's quite clear Real Madrid are a team that live for the Champions League. They have got a lead that they need to go to Liverpool and defend. And uh, I would be very surprised if Liverpool actually go through. But um, I think that's what he was doing, to be honest. Um, for us, uh, selfishly, I think it is better that Madrid progress in the Champions League and get all the way to the final and then lose his... 27-0, <laughs> for sure, yeah. uh, because that would mean that the players would get more tired, the focus would be elsewhere, and hopefully they can slip uh, and let some points go in La Liga. Um, but, you know, against Liverpool, I do wish them all the best because that's in Barca's interest for them to go through as long as they lose in the final. Well, I want to ask you, what did you think of the weather? I mean, the ball was bending quite a bit, including the amount on the Olympico almost by Messi. But I, I thought the weather, I mean, you could see Messi shivering. Those are some of the images I have when he's, when he's replacing his jersey and he's just as cold as can be. And I, I, not to make an excuse, but the way that Real Madrid play out on the counter like that, that weather supports the way they play a bit. And with the yes. weather, the only thing I want to say is the weather is when I was thinking of Ansu Fati. When I'm thinking, oh man, it'd be really useful if Barcelona had a really, 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 really good winger 
opposite Dembele because again that becomes the one tactical issue that Zidane the difference between Zidane and Kuman that Zidane by switching to Fede, uh, Fede Valverde to start that match instead of Asensio he, he gets it completely right um, which I guess yeah. in this instance mean that Kuman got it wrong Valverde would drop into a back five when he needed to and all and also got forward when he needed to including on the first goal and um, what his job basically was to do was to cut down those diagonals to Jordi Alba and he did that better than I think Asensio would have done. And that winds up being the difference in this match in terms of tactics. And then Dembele obviously starts as the number nine. And as you mentioned earlier, he probably should have gone over to the wing um, prior to that. And then the final point here is that Madrid, they the way that they were creating their box in the middle of the field was basically having Messi, who is now not scoring seven El Clasicos in a row, um, against the biggest sides, uh, that's when you see his ability to affect the match kind of be diminished with his age. And I know it's kind of a throwaway point that people are priming up later, but what Real Madrid was doing to Messi was they were putting a box of four in the middle of the field and suffocating him once he entered that box. And they were kind of doing it with everybody, even when Griezmann came on in the second half. And Pedri, who I think people were confused about whether he played well or didn't play well, I thought actually Pedri played rather well. The advanced metrics say he played rather well. Right. And the fact is, Real Madrid had a game plan for both Messi and Pedri with that box of four uh, in the middle. And then Fede Valverde, again, supporting, not having those diagonal runs come off. And as I said, I'm thinking... With Dembele starting at the number nine, again, it would have been more useful to have him out in the wing, but it also would have been more and more useful with the weather to have Ansu Fadi in that match. Yeah, um, the, about the weather, I'm not going to say much. I lived in London for 16 years, and I've played in those conditions several times. The weather is the weather, and the weather is the weather for both teams. Obviously, um, you can go back to the times when Xavi was uh, bossing the midfield at Barca. You know, you would go into pitches and you know, rivals would reduce the, the, the dimensions of the pitch uh, to, to make it narrower for us so that we couldn't, you know, distribute the ball to the sides, etc. They would um, cut the grass in different ways, either mm-hmm. very, very short, be long in the sides, or just leave it long, as if, you know, it was someone's afro head just growing all over the place just to slow us down. That's always been the case. And in this in this occasion, the weather was terrible. But it was terrible for both, for, for both teams. So I don't really read too much into that. Um, I want to make a point about what you said, um, or something about sort of steaming from what you said. I think that uh, Kuman and Barca in general, but certainly Kuman has to really rethink whether this 3-5-2 formation is something that we want to stick with um, by default, or if it's something that we want to bury. Uh, let me let me go into it. So, if you're playing a team that presses you really, really, really high, then it may be worth going for the 3-5-2 or variation of, like we've seen. It's not a pure 3-5-2, obviously. But if you are going to do that, then you need to make sure that your your fullbacks, so that would be obviously Jordi Alba and, in this case, Serginho Dest, they don't stay that far forward for too often because otherwise it becomes a 3-3-4, doesn't it? So it is important that in when you know you're going to play a team that are going to defend, for example, Athletic Bilbao may very well do it in the cup final, then you start with a 4-3-3. Uh, you need to be more attacking from the beginning. And if you are going to do that, then you're playing to, I would say, one of Barca's major differential points, which is Dembélé. If Dembélé is trapped in the middle um, as a striker, then it needs to, for him to be effective, he needs to have a lot of room behind the back of the centre-backs. Um, like we did uh, the first time we played the 3-5-2, he excelled, uh, but then progressively teams have begun to sort of understand what he was doing and what he is doing. Um, I think that his last sort of advantageous game in that position was against PSG, um, but he was much more controlled than he had been in the previous three. 
And against Madrid, I think they, they had his tickets. He didn't have his ticket. He, he just couldn't do what he wanted to do uh, or what Kuman wanted him to do. So I think that going back to the 4-3-3 would be a solution for that uh, because you would be playing to the player's strength. Having said that, and having players such as, and we've spoken about them already, uh, Mingueza that can play several positions, um, Frankie de Jong that can play several positions, Sergio Roberto's coming back as well, he can play different positions. So having those players available on the pitch then enables your flexibility to switch between one and the other. And I think that is a, a weapon that we have to use. Um, if you're going to play, it, making it up, Eibar at the camp, no, well, you don't really need a 3-5-2. You can just go straight for them. If you're going to play a team that presses you high, like Madrid did uh, for the majority of the time, um, then you need to switch it around. But I think that having great players who are intelligent, who understand the variations between those two formations, and even, as I've already said in a joking way earlier, when you put more strikers up front or more forwards, like, a, I don't know, putting Trincao, putting Braithwaite, <laughs> Pulling crazy Piquet running forward like happens sometimes, or like Mingueza when he scored the goal, he wasn't meant to be there, was he? So it is important that players understand they need to keep a shape, whatever shape that is, and that that shape in terms of formation can vary throughout the game. That's when you keep the opponent guessing, and that's when you can be more effective. Because if you always do the same thing in the same way, within four matches, as we've seen, rivals just um, just cloak it up. Yeah, and then speaking of the shape, I want to bring up Dest real quick here because in that 3-5-2, Dest 1v1 against Ferland Mendy, that's not an advantage for Barca either. As good as I think Dest is going to be, and Dest has been, again, another one of those bright spots of a young player who's 20 years old, but the deflection on the second goal as well, Dest shouldn't have twisted his body. And now we're talking, you know, that's another different way of uh, wordplay on the word shape, but the shape of then Dest's body twisting in the way that he did it leads to the double deflection and Alba doesn't have the reflexes in time to head it away off the line. And we're talking again about the, the smallest margins in this match where Barcelona wind up hitting the crossbar on four occasions. And this whole conversation we're having is entirely different if Dest only contorts his body how many extra degrees, yeah. right? 20 extra degrees. So, I mean, I thought... Can Dest... I jump on there? Yeah, Can please. Can I jump on there? Because I've, I've been in that position many, many times. As uh, listeners of the podcast probably know, I was a fullback throughout the whole of my playing career and then became a centre-back. And uh, I've been at the receiving end of that very same thing a lot of times, but I have never jumped the wrong way. Because <laughs> you know? that's yeah. what he did. You, cover, you, you jump straight. You jump straight like you are sort of a block jumping forward. You don't twist yourself to the side because then any deflection will come off and that's very hard to control. If you jump flat, if you're watching it on YouTube, it's probably easier. But if you jump flat and the ball is going to deflect back, or if it's, if it's deflected, it deflects further out. Uh, whereas if you twist it, you don't know where it's going. Yeah. And you know, if I had been on the post like Jordi Alba was, I don't think I would have been able to see it either. Yeah. Uh, and you know, he's not the tallest in the world either. Why was he on that post and not someone else? That's beyond me as well. But at the same time, that's the very small margins. I think that that goal is, all right, this should have jumped the, wrong, the right way, not the wrong way. But it's a very small margin. That can happen in a football match. I think that... We didn't lose the game there. We lost the game in, in all the other aspects that we've already discussed. Yeah. Yeah, and, and Jordi Alba, for to, not even on that second goal, but on the first goal when he loses Valverde on the wing, that was really the, yeah. the big issue. And as I mentioned, the margin, the small margins of Araujo, if he was two inches closer to Dembe, uh, to Benzema, that back heel doesn't get off. And then same thing with Ter Stegen. If he was able to see it a little bit better and a step to his left 
then he would have not been beat to the near post. And yeah, again, the, the small margins, uh, small margins here. And uh, where do small margins happen? They happen in the Copa del Rey final. So let's put El Clasico to bed. I, I think as we spoke about, we agree that La Liga is still, I Liga, it's still, it's still there. I mean, Barcelona, uh, they don't control their own destiny anymore, but um, I'm not going to say they're the favorites because again, history says they're not. But uh, if they're holding the Liga trophy at the end of the season, I, I think you still have to argue that Barcelona won the trophy and the two Madrid sides didn't necessarily lose it. I, the Barca were, you know, surprisingly the champions this season. Now, they can be Copa del Rey champions though. For It's been a while, right? It's been a while, Frances, since Barcelona were holding a trophy. How many players on Barca's first team right now have never held a a, a trophy at first team level it's quite a lot is the, is the number the majority of the squad actually remember you have to go back to what the fi- the La Liga trophy back in 2019 was the last trophy that anybody won so because 2020 was an entire trophy less season so athletic club right now coming off a 0-0 draw with bottom of the table Alaves on the weekend however Marcelino heavily heavily rotated so don't think that that match is indicative of, of who they are um, you can make of that what you will um, Inaki Williams came off the bench. Raul Garcia, I don't think he even saw the field. Ico Munian came off the bench. So, yeah, I mean, Athletic Club are going for this Copa del Rey final. Why wouldn't they? You know, they've, they they lost against Real Sociedad in the 2020 version. Or, yeah, 2020 version already. Now, uh, two weeks ago or last week. So, they want to win the Copa del Rey final. And I, I, this is Barcelona's trophy to lose, is it not? Yes, yes, without a doubt. And I think that them losing against Real Sociedad, who, let's not forget, they are... The yin and yang, you know, the, the two Basque, sure. yeah, there's more, but the two main Basque teams and uh, every single person in San Sebastiano, Bilbao, anywhere in the Paris Basque have been teasing the Bilbao players and the Bilbao fan base over the last two weeks since that game happened. So they're coming up with more ammunition, I would say, as if they, even more, are more sort of burning inside than if they had actually won it last time. So I think that that's not good news for Barca at all. But at the same time, we are Barca on paper, we should be superior. Um, I think that, as we've already said several times throughout this year, it's Barca's best chance to win a trophy. Normally, and you know, it's not that, that long ago that we saw La Copa as pretty much a side dish or an inconvenience while we are you know, going all the way to the Champions League final and challenging for a Liga, etc. Actually, this season, I think it's the better choice that we've got to, to lift anything. Um, I think that, as you mentioned, there's a lot of players in the squad that are hungry, um, that have never won anything. But at the same time, I do think like your Jordi Alba, Busquets, Messi, Piquet, Stegen, even, they've got something to prove. And they must prove that they've got, they still got it. And uh, this is the best chance this season. If, um, if they go into the Copa del Rey final, playing on a 3-5-2, in a defensive sort of wary way, may not happen for us. Um, so I would say that for, for me, starting with a 4-3-3 from the beginning, being brave, chasing the game is the best way to go. Obviously, I don't have a crystal ball. I don't know what Athletic David Rao are going to do, but naturally, I think they're going to close themselves quite tightly. Uh, they're going to go as far. Four, four. Two. I mean, it's a better club. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't overthink it. Yeah, but it's a very, you know, non-socially distanced defense. Yeah, yeah, right. Have. It's very compact, yeah. Without a shadow of a doubt, they're going to push um, the, the boundaries of the reglamento, of the, book, of the rule book. Uh, there's going to be people being kicked. There's going to be people being beaten in the air, in the ear. Not literally anymore, obviously. I don't but know. Ro Garcia. I was. I saw Ro Garcia in the stands the other day. He looked hungry. He looked hungry, Francis. 
<laughs> he's been hungry for 27 years since he was born, that dude. But anyway, um, it's going to be a tough match, you know, and uh, there's got, we just got to make sure that the Barca, um, the, the Barca Utilleros, so the, the, back, the backroom staff, they got plenty of eyes, a lot of tiritas, plasters, because it's going to be a, a really tough battle. And it should be, you know, every time that we played Atleti de Bilbao over the last 40, 50, 60 years, it's been the same. You know, that when, you know, Maradona broke a leg, etc., etc., etc. So get ready for a really tough battle. Um, Atleti de Bilbao and Barca, let's not forget, they are the two teams with the most La Copas ever. Mm-hmm. So they've got that rivalry going on. And it's not going to be easy, but I do think that we've got nothing to fear. If we play to our strengths and Messi has a decent enough game himself and he can empower the others, we should be winning this. But it's not a certainty for sure. No, this, the Spanish Super Cup is also a place where Barca would have learned from Athletic Club in a final. And I, I think, as you mentioned, Athletic Club, yeah, they, they want to win it because they lost the Copa del Rey final or whatever. But I don't think it matters how Athletic Club... Um, how they feel, Barcelona, their players should be more desperate for that title because not only did they lose the Spanish Super Cup this season to that same athletic club side, but the Copa del Rey, not only is it their their competition to lose, if you will, they've won more Copa del Reyes than any other club in Spanish history. But all that said is, going back to that point, that these Barca players need to want to win their for many of them, their first trophy more than athletic club need to win uh, to revenge that Copa del Rey. So uh, this is all about how Barcelona feel, how they respond to this match uh, and how they come out. I agree. This whole narrative, I think it's about Barcelona. And I know, yeah, it's a point about athletic club in their second Copa del Rey final in two weeks. But again, uh, that's not the point. The point here is FC Barcelona getting a trophy. And that's what it comes down yeah. to. So yeah, I think that's a good place to wrap it up. We got through it. We got through El Clasico. Blah, 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 blah. You know, I'll see you next year for that one. <laughs> and then, uh, but again, Copa del Rey final. Hey, Frances, you and I, how many shows have I, I don't have the math here, but how many shows have we done since Barcelona last won a trophy? It's got to be at least 100 because we're at 253 now. So it's over 100 shows since we got to celebrate a trophy. So, hey, I, I'm ready. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to get a trophy. I'm ready to talk about a victory and talk about a big match win. Because that'll be the first one this season when Barca wind up winning the big match. So do you, do you need a final word or can we wrap this one up? No, it's a final. So it's 90 minutes. I think that uh, you just need to put all the ingredients in the pan and make sure that it comes out well. Um, I've got nothing, nothing more to add. We can win it. We should win it. Doesn't mean we will win it, but we're going to push and uh, hopefully make the fans proud and finally win a big match like that. Yeah, so Barcelona, yeah, hope they win a trophy. And if so... And if not, we'll talk about it next week on our show here in the same place, uh, maybe around the same time as well. We have things going on behind the scenes. But again, we'll get you here for episode 254 with hopefully the Copa del Rey trophy. I want to mention, too, that for those who are listening, we do appreciate. We usually don't ask this, but I appreciate a rating, five stars, all that stuff. I, I think we don't ask for that enough, but you know where you can find all the links to all that stuff. Twitter, Instagram, at the Barcelona Pod. I'm Hilton D13 on all the uh, on Twitter as well. Closed Facebook group, that's tvpod.link backslash group. And then the Barcelona Podcast Facebook group, that's where you can ask the questions. Patreon is how we keep making these shows. Always, always appreciate it. You can also find these shows without the ads over there. So if all of these ads, they're not that many, but if all the ads get on your nerves, you you can find that over on Patreon. Again, it helps It helps us make these shows. That's probably the most important that you can do over there. And then we're on YouTube with all the match reviews and all that good stuff on YouTube at the Barcelona Podcast. We did hit 6,000 followers or subscribers on YouTube. So we're, we're the push to 10,000 continues on. But most importantly, thanks so much for listening to the Barcelona Podcast. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. The Force of Barca. What's up?
I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.